Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. The following is a presentation of the Matt Talk Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Matt Side. I'm your host, Richard Anderson Mann. On this episode, we're going to look at the Fargo Freestyle results from this previous week. And what better person to join us than Josh Lowe, the Intermat High School Wrestling Analyst. Josh, how are you today? Doing well. I guess we'll just jump right in. So like I said, Fargo wrapped up this past week. And I think we're going to start at heavyweight because I think one of the biggest stories is the emergence of Anthony Cassiope. Um, He's a guy that might end up being thrust into the starting lineup due to the injury issues with Sam Stoll, and he managed to pick up the win. He dominated his way through the tournament and knocked off another high-level prospect, Mason Paris, in the semifinals before going on to win. What's your big takeaway as far as Anthony, Josh? Obviously, Kashapi has been very impressive the last two off-seasons. He is now a two-time junior national triple crown winner, having won the folk style Greco and freestyle titles for USA Wrestling's junior division the last two off-seasons, which is certainly impressive. When you also cite Kashapi having beaten Mason Harris in the semifinal, he's the University of Michigan-bound wrestler. Kashapi also picked up a win over Northern Iowa recruit John McConkie earlier in the tournament. So he beat those two All-Americans in, additional, in addition to the finals match against Nash Huttmacher, a rising junior who's going to be one of the hot prospects in the class of 2020, both as a heavyweight and on the interior line as a football player. And when you look at Kashapi, the weird thing about him is that you look at Paris, look at Kashapi, you put him in a lineup, you think Mason Paris is your new, evolved, modern age, physique specimen at heavyweight, yet Kashapi is the one that's getting it done on the wrestling mat. He's got his own talents and his own right. He's very productive. I don't know if Iowa is going to go off the bat and start him if Stoll's not available. I would think they might do the Spencer Lee track, which is to say they see how things go the first half of the year and see they have a backup alternative like being an Aaron Costello who redshirted this past year, a two-time state finalist in Iowa or Stephen Holloway, who's probably going to be jumped in the lineup by Jacob Warner, see what they can do, maybe. But I would think if Saul's not available, I agree with you that Kashapi could become an immediate option at heavyweight, considering Iowa is trying to be all-in towards a national title top two, top three finish. Yeah, and I think we've seen with um, with him that he pretty much handles everyone outside of Gable Stevenson uh, at the high, high school level. And so I think a lot of heavyweights graduated. So uh, if we do see him, it will be sort of the Spencer Lee track where it's kind of they make the decision after Midlands. And uh, I think he would do pretty well. I mean, I don't know. It's hard to pick a freshman All-American in heavyweight. But I think he I think he has the talent to do it. Freshman, it's 
guys hard to pick him. Cool. The 88 heavyweight. Obviously, you're going to have Gable Stevenson as a two freshman who, quite frankly, I think Minnesota views him as the key figure in the reboot. Yeah, he's a one-man reboot for sure. Yeah. <laughs> you could say that again. Yeah. So, what do you think that the... For Paris, do you think this loss drops his stock, or does that change your opinion of his future as a prospect? I don't want to say too much about Mason Paris in terms of stock drop, stock boost, because you have to remember a couple things, that he's been a football player in the past as well as a wrestler, so he's kind of been splitting time in some ways in the offseason. You would think as he evolves in being more a wrestling-only type, that his performances will only grow as he gets the opportunity to compete at Michigan. Working with an Adam Kuhn, who's going to probably stay at the Club King OTC, working with the coaching staff, working with those around him. And also, you have to think that Harris was an in-season 220, which is not to say he doesn't have size, that, but that's more to say he does have some growth into the heavyweight division in terms of size, because I would think Kyle Snyder's your exception of being able to compete as truly a small heavyweight. That's not to say 240, 245-pound type haven't had success at heavy. That's more to say the 230 type do struggle with the size of the full division, unless you're Kyle Snyder <laughs> or right. Tommy Bowen. Fair enough. So, yeah, I think that we pretty much covered that. Uh, moving on, another highlight, I think, from the tournament was Northwestern's recruits. They had two winners in the tournament. Jack Jessen won at 182, and Lucas Davidson or Davison won at 195. Both of these guys were in the top 100 for recruits, and both pretty much teched their way through the tournament. And I think we've seen in the past that Northwestern has been able to recruit you know, top 100 recruits, and for whatever reason, you know, they don't always pan out or they end up transferring, but... I think that, you know, after the coaching switch up a few years ago, I think Northwestern's another program that's moving in the right direction right now. Yeah, I would say they're on the right track. If you look at the first, at the, the first year of the transition was quite frankly bad. When you look, they finished 12th in the Big Ten in 2015-2016. They were 50th at Nationals. They were winless in the conference dual meet season. They were 2-13 and 13 in regular dual meets. In 16-17, things were a little better. They were... Two and seven in conference dual meets. They were just about 500 in overall dual meets. So the Big Ten tournament and NCAA tournament were kind of bleak, finishing last at Big Ten, 46th at Nationals. Then this past year, they had a they had a positive improvement as they went just over 500 in the conference dual meet season and 11 and four overall after five and four conference dual meet season. They were 10th at Big Ten, which compared the 14th and 12th is progress. And they were 24th at Nationals with an All-American and a redshirt freshman, Rivera, and also had Ryan Deacon do very well in the national tournament. So that's incremental progress. And they finally found some coaching staff stability as well with Tony Olo in his second full season done, having Andrew Howe and Cody Brewer on staff as assistants. And also these three recruits, also those two recruits, plus they had another top 100 commit in the class of 2018 with Eric Bilek from Florida. The big problem Northwestern has had over the years, and this isn't going to change, is they have a very tight roster cap, which limits their ability to 
draft have kind of accrued and developed and sometimes leads to some forfeits in dual meets because, quite frankly, they don't have room for more than 20 to 22 kids as an administrative roster cap. Then when you talk about these, the two big name kids in the class, Jack Justin, he finished as a five-time double All-American in Fargo, both freestyle and Greco-Roman. He was runner-up in the Greco and champion in the folk style, folk style being held in April. And Davison was a double champ. So you talk about kids with high pedigree of productivity at national level of events, but certainly to help add to the momentum of what's going on in Northwestern. Justin, you talk about, is an 84, probably. Davison is a 97. I don't know if Northwestern's going to press them into immediate duty. So that is something they've had to do in the past because of these tight roster caps. And I would say, though, it might be smart to not go immediate with them because going immediately with kids is something that has bit Northwestern in the past because sometimes the kid's not ready to go immediately and they don't get the right start from a developmental standpoint. Fair enough. So you don't get the feeling that these are two guys who could go right away? I didn't say that. I was more saying Northwestern may be pressed into going with them immediately. I think Justin of the two is more equipped to go immediately, considering he has had three years of junior eligibility in Fargo, which means he'll turn 19 at some point in this calendar year, whereas Davison was a second-year cadet after his sophomore year of high school, which to me means he's a little younger kid. I'm not saying he's not physically mature, probably because he is, because he's very productive in high school, but sometimes a younger kid, you don't want to press in the service, especially at a weight class like 197, which is a very physical weight class. Fair enough. All right, so yeah, let's move on. Um, I think another big story in the tournament was the performance of Karsten Karshla. I think I'm saying that right, Karshla. And yes, uh, Karshla, he is a 2019 from Ohio, was ranked 10th overall in the class of 2019. He's from Owen Tangy Liberty High School, which is just north of Columbus. His father's a familiar name to those in wrestling circles, with uh, his father being Moran Karchalava. He Moran, they've former assistant at Ohio State, national champion of Finley, immigrated in from Russia. So Carson certainly has the pedigree to be very talented. Won a state title this past year in high school, which is his first. Beat a defending state champion in the semifinals to key that run. Was a Fargo All-American last year, fourth and junior freestyle, third at Super 32 in the fall. Fifth at the Ironman, lost two very narrow matches to top five kids in the country at his weight class. So he might have, you could argue he out wrestled both of the kids he lost to, but ultimately he did lose. Then you look at this Fargo run he had. I don't know how much you can push your stock up from being top 10 in the class, but he did push his stock up from that. You know what I mean? I'm just saying yeah. it's hard to push a kid up from being top 10. <laughs> right. But he certainly performed at a level that I was very impressed he was one of two wrestlers to win weight classes and beat four All-Americans along the way. He beat uh, Parker Kekerson from Wisconsin, who is going to also be a top 100 kid in the class of 2019. 
Kerkensen is a wrestler who also started stock boost during the course of this Fargo. He beat Ben Stirrison from Iowa in the quarterfinals, state champion, weight class rank kid. He was a senior in high school this past year. He's going to be going to D3 University of Chicago. His big win came in a semifinal match when he beat Travis Whitlake, who I had as the number two overall wrestler in the class of 2018 and is headed to Oklahoma State. Then in the final, he beat number nine overall in the class of 2020, Dustin Plot from Oklahoma. In the seven matches he wrestled during the tournament, it was six shutout technical superiority victories and then the 7-4 win over Whitlake. So he dominated a bunch of opponents. Not only that, he also dominated a bunch of very talented opponents that performed very well during the course of the tournament. I think it's it's important the way you pointed out the actual road that he went to, because I think sometimes the way Fargo is, we see some of these weight classes are kind of light. And I think this was a very tough weight class highlighted by Whitlake. And he really, I mean, he looked great on the feet. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, he looked great. A talented weight class. He had the meat of the weight class in the in his past. I mean, so, sometimes you can have these talented weight classes, and you have a past where someone doesn't hit the talented opposition. He did, but and then he was one of two, along with uh, University of Illinois enrollee. Danny Braunagle, who won the Fargo title at 160 to beat four All-Americans on the way to a title. Karchler beat those who finished second, fourth, fifth, and sixth. Braunagle at 60 beat those who finished second, third, fourth, and fifth. So they ran a gong, that's for sure. What do you take out of the Whitlake match? Because like like you said, he's a guy who was second in the class of 2018. He's going to you know one of the premier programs. And, yeah, I mean, he takes this loss to someone that I don't think anyone would have picked to beat him before the tournament. I would say that's something I would say. Uh, Whitlake has been a little uneven during this spring-summer season. With that being said, he certainly is a kid that I'm still expecting to thrive at Oklahoma State. Probably after a retired year as Oklahoma State returns a ton of roster talent, headed into 18-19. And Whitlake did come off the injury from the summer of 2017 that caused him to miss the Cadet World Tournament in the fall when when Aaron Brooks won the Cadet World title at the 167-pound, whatever that's in kilos, weight class. He had lost to Whitlake domestically in the best two out of three final. Whitlake gets hurt. Brooks goes. Brooks wins gold. Brooks is going to be at Penn State. So you talk about Whitlake, who has a high level of potential. I don't want to say he wasn't fully recovered from the injury, but I would say that sometimes it takes a little time to be fully at a go. And we'll, I would say see where Whitlake is in a year from now. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that he's probably a 174 in college, and I think that, um, you know, they're currently got Joe Smith and Chandler Rogers in that 65-74 range. So Yeah, yeah. that's why I say he's the luxury of being able to sit and develop. He's another one that was a second-year cadet as a sophomore in high school, which means he's a little on the younger side from a both-year standpoint. So having that extra year to develop could serve him very well. 
And getting back to Karshla, has there been any word on where he's looking? I mean, he's one of the higher-ranked guys in 2019 who's currently uncommitted. Yeah, he's among the few high, high uncommitted wrestlers. Obviously, being from the Columbus metropolitan area, Ohio State comes into play. I've heard interest from ACC schools. Obviously, any and all top programs will have interest in him based on his talent level. I don't have a 100% decisive answer. I will say Ohio State is probably hoping he chooses to go enroll at Ohio State. Many programs are hoping he chooses them. (laughs) Fair enough. So another guy who had a great performance, um, Colin Shriver, is a guy from Iowa. And, um, you know, I think in a lot of ways, the Iowa recruiting pool, the high school ranks really has not been the strongest in the last few years. And I think this guy, um, you know, I think a lot of people from Iowa, you see on the boards, they really like him. And I, I see it, too. I mean, he had a great comeback in the finals. And I think that, you know, he's a guy who in a few years could slide into that 125 role for the Hawkeyes. I'm going to put a little breather on that here right. for a moment. Fair enough. When you're talking about a kid that most of the time, for me, one of the things for me that's been hard to evaluate with a kid like Shriver is he's still very light. That's he true. was a still he was still an in season a hundred pounder during the past high school season as a sophomore, and his two cadet years were after eighth grade and after ninth grade. So the question, so you get to start asking the question: When's the growth spurt going to come? You hope it comes. I think it will come. You know I mean, I'm just saying that's the one thing you ask when a kid that's been still white is when's the growth spurt going to come? Because when you look at college 125ers, you're looking at kids that walk around about 135, 140, probably closer to 135. But you know what I mean? I'm saying they do have to add some size to succeed in college. With that being said, sometimes a lighter kid is a luxury because that means they may not they never grow out of the 125-pound weight class. When another note on Iowa kids is in this past graduating class of 2018, you had two lighter wrestlers with a combined two losses in their career. The, the losses came to each other. When talk about uh, Brody Teske, who's going to Penn State, and Alex Thompson, who's going to Nebraska. They were a bunch and one respectively. Undefeated freshman, undefeated sophomore, undefeated junior, split matches against each other this year. They're probably going to be 20, maybe 25 off the bat, then probably 33-ish as their career moves on. Got another lightweight in Iowa, 2019 kid to watch, top 50-ish right now, Aiden Reeves, two-time state champ, committed to Iowa State. So it's not like there's a total lack of talent coming through Iowa. Is it at the level of talent you had in the Dan Gable days coming to Iowa? Probably not. But I'm saying when Gable was coaching. Right. Not when Gable was out of luck. But <laughs> when, is it at that level of talent? I don't know. But there is some talent every year coming through Iowa high school. Is it enough to support three programs that are Division One in the state? Probably not. Which is why you've seen all three programs go out of state to get commits. Obviously, when you look at Iowa, eventually he's out of state. This Kashapi is out of state. 
So they're going out of state. Iowa State's going out of state. They got David Kerr from out of state. I mean, I'm just saying they have to go out of state still. And then the other thing is when you look at Shriver, he had three tight matches along the way to his Fargo title, obviously the final over Prada. And he had a couple of eight, six matches earlier in the tournament in the semi and then earlier on in the tournament. So it's not like he dominated 100% to the title. And I think Prada was the only wrestler he beat that ended the season weight class ranked nationally. So Junior 113 is normally not one of the stronger weight classes. That's not to say there's not quality in it, but it's not stacked like in a way Carson Karch was Junior 170 weight class was with nationally ranked kids all over it. Fair enough. Yeah, I think there's a there's just a weird line when it comes to recruiting 125 because on one hand, a lot of coaches want a guy who's a career 125 so they can stick him in and have a guy there. But at the same time, you know, it's these kids are growing and, you know, there are kids that are too small for 125 in college. So it's kind of a balance of, you know, how big they're going to get. And if they do get bigger, do they still wrestle a small wrestler style? It's uh, from a cr- recruiting perspective, I think it's a pretty tough decision sometimes. Then you also get the question is sometimes you have a kid that, gets their growth food in college and grows out of the 125-pound weight class. Right. But whether it's a growth food or the fact they're in a college with a man strength or college strength and conditioning programs. Like, for example, say Nathan Tomasello, for example, though he went 125 as a senior, he was seemed to be pulling a lot of weight to get down to 125 pounds. Yeah, so I'm I mean, just saying that's the sweet spot you have with 125 pounds in college. All right, so moving on, um, Jaden Abbas is a pretty high-ranked prospect. I think he's 11th in this year's class, and he's or 20, uh, 2019. Time, he's 11th. He certainly has a strong pedigree considering his father and Absolutely. uncle, both yeah. Fresno State wrestlers, Jerry Abbas and Stephen Abbas, very excellent careers at Fresno State. He lost. He won his opening match, then lost the second match in criteria to Clay Carlson, South Dakota State enrollee, and the season weight class ranked. Anyone would have to characterize that loss as an upset. That being said, Carlson's a very good wrestler in his own right. Ended up two matches from the All-American Honors. Then you look at his backside run. He won 10 straight backside matches to come back to third. In that, in the first seven of those matches, which were the matches he needed to win to earn All-American status, six of those seven matches were shutout technical superiority victories. So he dominated through the backside to the point of the All-American finish. And then in coming back to finish third, his last two matches of tournament were against wrestlers ranked also in the top 50 overall in the class. 2019, he beat Jordan Crace from Ohio and Lucas Vivano from New Jersey, wrestlers that are committed to Michigan State and Canada, respectively. Jordan Crace had a very interesting tournament. In the seven matches he contested, he wrestled all seven of them against wrestlers that were state champions this past season. That's just an interesting note there. And when you look at Jaden Abbas, in addition to this Fargo run where he beat some excellent wrestlers and dominated many of them, 
You look at his junior duels run, he went 6-0 and and dominated there. So he's a very talented. The, he was a state champion this past season in high school. He competed also at the UWW Juniors in freestyle this spring. We're at the 65-kilo weight class. He won 2-2. Two and two. His two losses were to University of Wyoming National Qualifier Sam Turner and uh, Quincy Monday, who obviously we very clear and strong pedigree considering he is Kenny Monday's son. And he's going to uh, Princeton. Princeton in his own right as a 2018. Yeah. Very impressive performance from Otis. The backside run, always always good to see. I mean, a lot of guys will hang their head if they lose that first round or front bracket match, and then they come back and to go all the way. Very impressive. And, and then yeah. sometimes sometimes you see, especially in a big with a big-name kid, they lose early, and sometimes you'll just say goodbye, and you Sometimes he'll lose the injury default on the backside. Yeah. He didn't. He dominated. He's a kid that probably should have won the title. He just happened to lose a match. I will say it is it is kind of hard to see that he's going to Stanford and not Fresno State. I kind of thought when the program's coming back and there was another Avis in the pipeline, I was kind of thinking that that was meant to be. But Stanford's a great school, and I, I think he'll have success there. Uh, they uh, Yeah, great school. They're Doing very, they have some momentum going in recruiting with that 2019 class. They also had Shane Griffith from this class. The question is, when you look at Stanford, they've had some very strong recruiting classes in the last five, ten years. At some point, you would hope that it creeps into something that's a top ten finish in nationals. If they can get a one run, they can truly build upon the recruiting and and, you mean they can truly sustain it even further than they are right now. They can get one big run in nationals. Absolutely. So we talked about Stanford's ability to bring in great classes. I think we're going to touch here on Ohio State, which always seems to bring in a great class. And they had two guys going in the tournament um, who did well. Jordan Decatur won at 132. And Dylan he the 18th ranked recruit, he ended up finishing six at the same weight. Lost to Reeves Lovett, yeah. Yeah, he ended up finishing sixth at the same weight. Uh, Jordan Decatur obviously is a clear freestyle fiend. That's his third Fargo title in freestyle. He won twice as a cadet going back to his year after eighth grade and year after ninth grade. Then last spring summer, he qualified for the cadet world team. So he's a very known talent in freestyle. Two-time state champ, didn't compete in the state series as a freshman because of a weight weigh-in issue at the sectional tournament, but he's a clear dominant, dominant top-end kid. One question some people may have about a Jordan Decatur is, how will he do in the seven-minute college match? Hmm. Is that like from a conditioning perspective or... Yeah, that's a conditioning thing. Okay. That's the one question some people will have. Because the thing is, in freestyle, he's able to get to that, sometimes he's able to get to that 10 very quickly and get the technical superiority, which he did in all of his matches up to the semifinal. In the semifinal, he's facing Jackson Henson, gets out to a lead, Henson cuts into that lead, and Decatur has to outlast him at 17-16. to 16. And then in the final, 
a very excellent match she had against Ridge Lovette. Ended up being a 13 to 7, 13 to 8, very decisive win. Lovette probably had a more impressive tournament in terms of opposition based than Decatur did, but Decatur obviously had the most impressive tournament because he won it. Lovette beat Bo Bartlett, and he beat Dylan D'Amelio on his way to the final. That's a kid from Idaho. People should get to know him. So he's a known commodity. A lot of it's Greco success. He did win the folks out at the junior level this year. Bitch Levette's a kid people should get to know. And then when you talk about Dylan D'Amelio, clearly, clearly an excellent talent. Three-time state champ in Ohio. Multi-time Super 32 placer. Multi-time Fargo AA. Ohio State got a good one with D'Amelio. Ohio State got a good one with Jordan Decatur. They have a third good one in class of 2019 with Jordan's twin brother, Jacob, who, like Colin Shriver, there's questions about, is he too light? Because he's a, he was a 106 as a uh, junior in high school this year in the 17-18 season. And interesting from an Ohio State recruiting standpoint, I mean, five Ohio top 40 kids that have chosen another school. Connor Brady's going to Virginia Tech. Bryson Diamond's going to Virginia Tech. Jordan Crazy's going to Michigan State. Gabe Taggart's going to North Carolina. Sam Dover's going to Oklahoma. And then Carson Carts was uncommitted. So for the good Ohio State has done in recruiting, there is not enough spots. There's not enough places at table for Ohio State to pick up every good in-state kid. Yeah, people are raiding the backyard for sure. Yeah, it's sure. I mean, even guy, even Decatur and Demilio might have to sit. You know, I mean, they're not going to probably be able to go right away. Quite possibly. So, yeah, that's certainly possible. Putch has got Putch will have another year. Our state's immediate needs going to be at one twenty-five. Though Heinzelman will take that spot in nineteen twenty. If they don't have, even if they don't have to press him in the service in eighteen nineteen. I would say that's a decision more to be based on how Heinzelman is able to be from a size standpoint, because I don't think Ohio State's going to be in the hunt for an title next year, clearly. And I am skeptical, even with what they've returned, that they truly can compete for a trophy. I just question that. But they, I, Ohio State seems to be a program, though, that goes all in every year. and. Going in all, all in may involve using Malik Heinzelman as a true freshman, even if he's not ready to be an elite 125 this year. Yeah, I think there was some talk about using some red shirts and sort of stacking the deck for next year, and I think that Coach Ryan kind of put a, put a fork in that right away. because uh, Yeah, think, yeah. Seen, Tom seems to be the one that every year is going to go all in. Like, for example, he used Miles Martin as a mid-year bring back in his true freshman year, what Miles wanted, even though Miles was not ranked in a position where anyone would have thought he was going to contend to win a title. So Ohio State was trying to go all in. That's the mentality of Ohio State. Seems to be all in every year. And as a fan, I certainly appreciate that. I mean, we, we, we want to see these guys wrestle, and uh, I think it's worked out for them too. I mean, some teams like to redshirt everybody and give them that development, and, you know, 
some teams like to put everybody in, and it's different strokes for different folks, I think. Yeah, it's certainly different strokes for different folks. It, it depends on the roster. It depends on the roster. It depends on what, how you're trying to compete year to year in terms of can you get that trophy? Can you not get that trophy? Here's the thing, though. Are you really going to be able to sit and try to bank on sitting to get into the trophy hunt? Is any program considering how strong Penn State is roster-wise and how strong Penn State continues to be in terms of recruiting? Yeah, I mean, everybody's looking up at Penn State. They ain't going away. <laughs> nope. Nope. I mean, because we saw this with Taylor and uh, Ruth were leaving. Everyone said, oh, it's going to open up, and it, it hasn't opened yet. So. Mm. Uh, they did lose the title the one year. They did lose the, the first year after Taylor and Ruth left. Yeah, true. But that was the year they kind of played around with. Uh, they gave Rutherford a year off. I think they let Megalutis sit. And they were still competitive. But that being said, that's the only time in the last, what, seven, eight years Penn State hasn't won a title? Yeah. Well, yeah, I think that's a good place to call it. I think uh, when it comes to recruiting and, and winning, I think everyone's still chasing Penn State. So, Josh, I want to thank you very much for coming in. This is great. You had you had pretty much every issue covered. Um, the mastermind of high school wrestling and Intermat. Really appreciate it. Thank you. is part of the Matt Talk Podcast Network. For more wrestling podcasts, head over to matttalkonline.com.